0: Look alive, sunshine
1: The question is not it's going to stop But who is going to stop The electric shintar, the hippo The revolution will not be televised How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Grindhouse Podcast I'm joined by our frequent co-guest host The man who not only has conquered the hills of France we- but the treacherous waters of Thailand mm. with his two films, The Incantation, mm. and soon, maybe coming <laughs> Shark Island. Eventually, at, at some, some point, point. Mr. Jude Aswalko, how are you, sir? It's ass. It's, it's French.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dumas. Dumas. It's dumbass. Mm. I mean, it's Dumas. Yes. Close
1: enough. How's it going, man? It's good. Uh, we, for everyone who's been trekking the. Uh, we. <laughs> it's, it's throwback humor, we. Yes, yes, we, we. We, uh, we just drove back from Atlanta mm-hmm. and arrived back in California just a day or two ago.
0: Mm.
1: I think since we spent about a week traveling, we should talk about some of our journey because, uh, yeah. as, as is the case when we first went out there, we kind of made the most of the trip and tried to see some roadside attractions. We did. We saw first we went to Graceland. We did. Which was
0: pre- pretty cold. It was which, amazing. We pretty much had run of the place to ourselves. I'm still thinking about that. Like a week later, and then the more I read up on the history of Elvis and Lisa Marie and Priscilla and all that. Right. And the Colonel and thank you very much. Uh, it's it's so much has happened to that place and so many people have been through there. And right. you and I were there pretty much by ourselves.
1: Yeah. So, so Graceland is one of those places that... You know, like most businesses during the pandemic has um, obviously is really slow. Almost no people are there. Yeah. Um, Although I will give them credit. They had a lot of safety precautions, had plenty of like um, Mm -hmm. the hand sanitizing stations and check your temperature and all that stuff, wear a mask. But there was no one there. So what would normally be probably hundreds of people in each room crammed like sardines. Yeah. It was essentially us walking through it, kind of at our own pace. Yeah, mostly alone, outside of a couple of guards and a few people way in front of us.
0: Yeah, there. I mean, we might have seen ten other tourists the whole time, max. Across the entire across complex. the entire complex, which is massive. It's like yeah. it's like a, a, a square mile or so. It's like thirteen point eight acres is the is the mansion itself, and then the other place is massive too. So right,
1: at least the same size. So we got to see um, the king's private jet. We did
0: the Lisa Marie. We got to see his little, uh, you know, where the king did his thing in the back there.
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, (laughs) His cars and and just the the amount of screen time that he was. So much of his career was mostly in the movies. It wasn't until, I think it was 68 when he did his 68 comeback special that he kind Mm -hmm. of transitioned back into being, you know, predominantly just a uh, musician. Yeah, well,
0: he was caught in a trap back then, so. He couldn't get out? Mm Mm-mm. Yeah.
1: Uh, we were originally we were going to go to the tomb of Marie Laveau mm-hmm. the voodoo witch practitioner
0: yes. um, but
1: hurricanes have little their little own plans Hurricane
0: Laura and Hurricane somebody else not Laura Hardy who was it? Uh, Laurel Laura and Hardy. <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole column. That's as good as any other name. <laughs> yeah, when Laurel and Hardy came and double tapped the coast. We decided it would be not a good idea to get the It go was a come. DP, if you will, a double penetration of the Gulf Coast. I thought it was a
1: director of photography. Yeah. <laughs> Protonography. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, they double tapped the coast. So we were like, you know probably not a good idea to ride through new orleans at this juncture so we went up north we went we cut through alabama and cut through memphis and it was a great thing because bonahoma bonahoma yeah. arrived at a uh, amarillo by mm-hmm. morning by morning we were there yeah we were definitely i don't there. remember what we were doing by supper time but we were there by morning by morning
1: 100 <laughs> percent. supper probably through the hill somewhere <laughs> uh which was cool it had a couple of um weird installations out there uh where in amarillo
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a Cadillac Ranch, which I've been to many, many times. Back, I, I want to say I was back before the graffiti because I don't ever remember that, but that could be a lie. But I feel like I was there before the graffiti started, the painting. People, now they just take cans and they spray and they spray right. and they spray. So it almost looks
1: like slag yeah. in the shape of Cadillacs.
0: It's, it's become more of a science experiment now than a, than a sort of a cultural landmark. But it's cool. I love that place. And uh, what else did we see in Amarillo? And then there's the uh, Ozymandias' oh. yeah. legs in the plane. Yeah, legs in the plane. Just just two giant, what what do you figure, like 30 feet high, 20 Uh, feet high? Yeah, at least 20, at least. Yeah, 20 feet
1: high legs, just the legs. Yeah, so. And originally they have gym socks on. Yeah. But then people in Amarillo like their spray paint. They love it. So it's all been colored
0: over. You know what they, well, you know what their favorite color in (laughs) Amarillo is? (laughs) What? Yellow. (laughs) 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 <laughs> That's her favorite color, spray paint. Oh, god! It's
1: true. Um, and then, <laughs> and then from Amarillo, we decided to go down to Old
0: Roswell, New Mexico. We did. We were, how about them aliens?
1: When we went looking for them aliens, we did. Didn't I? I don't know how successful we were Not at very. finding them aliens, but uh, mm-hmm. we were there.
0: Yeah and we spent a lot of money in the gift shop a lot of money in the gift shop not and only did we exit through the gift shop we entered through the We gift entered shop. and exited cuz that's the gift all shop. that was open so unfortunately the
1: only available <laughs> okay. And then um, from Roswell, we saw some cool uh, totem poles. Yeah,
0: Wupatki. Flagstaff. National Monument. Yeah. And then the Wupatki. We didn't see the National Monument. We went to that park. And then we saw the Wupatki, it's hard to say, totem pole, which is amazing. Right, which was super cool, super cool. And
1: then, um, and then back to Los Angeles. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: being on the road for several days at a time and sort of seeing the sights, it got me thinking about... Well, you know, there's, there's there's multiple really cool road shows or, or movies or stories about travel. Yeah. Um, you know, most recently there was a I said relatively recently there was a, a film adaptation of On the Road by Jack Kerouac. I love that book. Uh, movies does a good job with it, and I thought about talking about that film. But really, I think something that transcends just a road film, but also sort of uh, mirrors what's going on in real life. I thought a
0: better option would be that of Easy Rider. Easy Rider. Before we get into this, here's my specially prepared Easy Rider theme. Okay. That's on a rubber band. I just made it for this.
1: That's actually really cool synth sound, there, man. <laughs> I know, isn't it? Just a cool drum beat behind it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Easy Rider. Easy Rider.
0: I hadn't seen that in a really long time. <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I saw it. I definitely didn't understand it. The last time I saw it, I was probably in college or something like that.
1: Right. Well, you have to, um, as we, being scientific men, <laughs> decided to do, you have to be in a certain consciousness yeah, to really appreciate that film for everything that it brings. Yeah. And so luckily we are back in California. Yeah. Where such um, better living through plant life is available for us. Yeah. As as the Jude partakes, perfect. So, what were you think? So, so now looking back at it as a, as an adult, yeah. What were your thoughts on watching this?
0: Well, you know, I know a lot of people look at it as a sign of the time, so to speak. You know, like the uh, revolution that was happening, the cultural revolution, and all that stuff. Uh, but for me, I looked at it. Uh, You know, I just turned 48 recently in July, a month ago, and I looked at it more of the humanistic approach, like about the friendship and the bonding involved, especially between uh, Dennis Hopper and um, uh, Fonda, Henry Fonda, Peter Fonda, Peter Peter Fonda, not Henry Mm -hmm. Fonda, (laughs) same family. Um, Yeah. And and then uh, just the dynamic between them and how something like as simple as a road trip, uh, in their case a little bit a riskier road trip because they were doing some other shady stuff on the side but nonetheless a road trip and just spending time with this other person much like we spent a lot of time together recently and on the road um and how that affects a relationship and then you you throw in these different dynamics of people that come and go you know you have the jack nicholson character and you have uh, the locals the yokel locals that want to hang them from the highest rafter and all that stuff and how that affects the dynamic but to me it was basically a buddy pick you know it's it's about right, right. it's about friendship to me that's what i took out of it <clears throat> well it,
1: it it has those parallels because of what to me it's a film about uh the, the full cycle of a age of a relationship of uh time in your life
0: yeah exactly you know
1: there I, there's obvious parallels and it's obviously a metaphor for the um for the '60s, yeah, and I think that you can personify those in Wyatt, who's Peter Fonda, and Billy, who's um, Dennis Hopper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Sort of uh, Wyatt is sort of reflective to me of the optimism of the '60s. Yeah, right. It's it's the um, you know when we think about the the, the '60s and the sort of the hippie movement and social change, we think about that purest point. Uh, when it looked like real change was possible right yeah that to me is why Billy on the other hand you know he's more of the capitalist of the two you know he's the guy who's really yeah. obsessed with the money
0: yeah
1: and getting some of the money and um I mean you know, spoilers for like a 40 year old you know, 1969 it came out yeah when when Jack Nicholson's george character is murdered like it's Billy who's uh who convinces him to to you know, take the money and they, he'd want us to spend it and go to the whorehouse and mm-hmm. fancy restaurant and all that stuff so to me Billy represents the um, basically the end of the 60s era it's the, it's the 60s it's the portion of the 60s that sold out yeah right yeah. It's, it's the conclusion so it's almost like an alpha and omega system mm-hmm. whereas Wyatt, Wyatt represents like the purest mm-hmm. the rose-colored glasses version mm-hmm. of the 60s mm-hmm. and then Billy is the omega he represents the death of the 60s yeah and and basically this selling out of it right because yeah. in the first part of the flick you know they enjoy their grass and they've got their free love mm-hmm. and they're on the open road and yeah and uh you know they find a way to just eat off the land and they're they're happy right they're the they're the part of the 60s that we think about yeah but then when george dies when there's a little bit of tragedy and you could look at places like the shootings at kent state or whatever um you know, you see the the corruption. You see the move yeah. towards capitalism. Now they're buying yeah. their fancy food. Now they're bu- they're even buying their love, right? Mm-hmm. And and so it's a complete setup. So to me, Wyatt and Billy are like the opposite ends of the '60s. Yeah, which why is why I think it's fitting that um, it's Billy that dies first,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then when Billy dies, mm-hmm. then of course Wyatt dies because it has to. It's like the ending of the cycle. So. So I think that can be applied to not only the age, right, yeah. like the, the generation, but I think to interpersonal relationships sometimes mm-hmm. and uh, romantic relationships or mm-hmm. even business relationships. Mm-hmm. you
0: know Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it definitely did that. And they went out with a bang. You know, it was one last hurrah if you used that analogy that it's the end of an era and the beginning of a new era. You know, they – you know, if, again, plot spoiler. It's actually closer to 50 years old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they both die in the end. You know, like, that's what happens. It, it kind of d- dissolves and fades away. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, man. It was a... Uh, there's a particular scene in there. You know, we were talking about earlier that we were going to go through New Orleans. And right. a major plot point is that they're trying to get to New Orleans. For Mardi Gras. For Mardi Gras, yeah. And they happen to do that. And, in fact, I was reading up a little bit about the movie and... Uh, Whoever financed it it, it, it wasn't Bob Rafelson. Maybe it was. I can't remember. But I, know, who, I know Peter Fauna put in love his own money too. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was Peter Fauna. Whoever, but whoever they went to for financing said, I'm going to give you – I want to say it was $20,000. And they said, if you go and you film an awesome Mardi Gras sequence in New Orleans and come back, I'll finance the rest of the film. I can't remember <laughs> who that person was, but that's how they did it. So that the first thing he ever shot was actually – three-quarters of the way in the movie. right? Um, but we were talking about going to there to see Madame Louveau and right. all that stuff. And there's many scenes. In fact, the pivotal scene, especially when the weed kicked in yesterday, <laughs> is when they're at a cemetery, which may be the same one, because there, there's like three or four big ones there in New Orleans, and they all kind of look similar. You know, they have those above-ground um, tombs and all that stuff, and it's all that white rock and all that. But, uh, which is where Madame Louveau's also looks like that. Um, right. Uh, and they basically they take some lsd and they're tripping balls in that sequence and that's sort of like it's sort of almost like the climax of the film you know it's like the tipping point not necessarily the climax but the tipping point of the film um and i thought that was really interesting and and uh i loved it because you know we had partake of some herbal essence (laughs) (laughs) and uh it was, like, perfect timing. And then the way that scene is edited, it's just, like, crazy. Which, if you're watching it totally sober, you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Confusing. This is the worst edit I've ever seen. But if you're watching it even with a moderate buzz, you're like, wow, this is trippy, bruh."
1: Well, yeah, and that's, like, um, you mentioned, like, the, the sort of the infamous bad trip. Yeah. And there's a earlier scene when he's given the acid, the guy, the hippie that gives it to him is, like... Wherever you take this, this is where you belong.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. So
1: it's it's a little a little foreshadowing that yeah. that where he belongs ends yeah. up being in the graveyard, right? Yep, yep, yep. But that's essentially what it was. At, the, at some point, the sixties were going to end. Yeah, right. It just, it, it just wasn't built on a foundation that could last.
0: The utopians always do, man. Yeah, and
1: so and so essentially what if if you know Wyatt is sort of the the symbolic of the optimism you know when they're at the commune earlier in the movie and Billy's like they're never gonna make it man he's like nah man they're gonna make it and (laughs) that's that optimism yeah
0: um
1: the bad trip can signify all like the social struggle
0: yeah
1: you know that was beyond like the you know um you know, again, it's like the Kent State or uh, was it Tussman Square or mm-hmm. uh, Tiananmen Square? Tiananmen Square in China. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, just, you know, any, any footage you see, of, like the civil rights movement, when you see like the water hose and the dogs being set on people, that's the bad trip of the 60s. Yeah. You know, the optimism is like we could just, you know, love is the answer. love's <laughs> yeah, all yeah. you need. Right. And and the bad trip is the reality of the strife that was occurring yep. for any of these things.
0: Yeah.
1: Any of these social movements to be, uh, you know, moved forward and at what expense right obviously some people's lives and for a lot of, a lot of other people the crushing of their of their morality yeah you know like they're setting outness right so the byproduct of this bad trip so yeah so then uh, then you're kind of at the end of it where it's all at some point crashing down around you they'll never make
0: it out of the parish alive <laughs> that's what they keep saying
1: uh, and, and then there's a scene I, don't, I think it's I can't remember if it's right before the bad. I think it's after the bad trip yeah there's not a lot of dialogue
0: in this movie. No, there's you know? not. There's a lot. It's almost a, a movie of B-roll. By the way, before you get into that, back at that cemetery scene, I read up there's a one of the actresses gets naked and topless in there, and she was really freaked out about it. And one of them, I think Dennis Hopper, who was apparently really aggressive on that set, and they were both stoned the whole time and High, but right. but he was, I guess he's a bad drunk or bad stoner, um, was like forcing her to get in there, and he was like, get in there, take your clothes off inside that little... It was like a tombstone. Like a, like a tomb, it's yeah, It's like yeah. in like a little fenced-in area. And she was like, I don't want to fucking do that. And he was like, you're going to do it. And she did it. I mean, it's in the film.
1: Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, the scene where, where... Well, the reason I brought up that there's not that much dialogue...
0: Yeah. ...is because the
1: movie... Before we started recording, I made the comment that like... The movie could almost work perfectly... Um, as a double feature oh sorry as a silent feature yeah right yeah um, but, so when there is dialogue spoken it's usually pretty meaningful yeah and one of the lines that Peter Fonda says the probably the most memorable one is that we blew it right <laughs> yeah. and again sort of symbolic of the 60s like we had a thing going yeah and we fucking we fucked up we sold out we, yeah. we went into the, the uh, narcissism of the 70s uh, yeah. and all that hope and optimism and push for change got spent and wasted and lost right yep um, I think that this movie is very relevant 50 years later
0: yeah it is I mean it
1: seems to certainly parallel a lot of what's going on within yep. you know current strife in the, in the political world
0: yeah, I I agree
1: that history repeats itself, man. Right. Well, and and there's a there's a a bit of monologue earlier in the film that Jack Nicholson delivers mm-hmm. when um, Billy Dennis Hopper is saying that they uh, they're talking about why the townspeople don't understand them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, again, Billy, who's the sort of sellout version of the '60s, he's a the surface level guy, the guy that watches a lot of like Saturday Night Live for their political <laughs> uh, information. He's just saying they just don't, they don't like us. They think we're weird. To them,
0: we're just guys that need haircuts. Right,
1: right. And and George, uh, Nick, um, Jack Nicholson says, "No, man, you represent something. You represent freedom. Mm-hmm. We don't really want freedom in this country. Yeah. We say it, it's a slogan. It's on patches and jackets and all that. But we don't actually want to be free because yeah. being free means not picking a side." Yeah. Questioning everything, yeah. living on your time and your way, and not succumbing to the spectacle yeah. and the expectations of life, right? Which this film does not do. Yeah, <laughs> this movie is free from that definition, right? And um, and you know, I think when you look at what's going on in and um, Portland and in Wisconsin and and all those places, you can certainly see that there is a battle right now between. The establishment and those who are living outside the establishment. True. That. And I think that, that perspective changes depending from which which, from which team you're looking at. Yeah. But but you see you see it all the time now. Like even even within social media. Yeah. Like if you have an opinion or even a questioning opinion, I'll give you a, a great example. Is this whole save the children thing, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which has been which is obviously a real concern, right? Yeah. Underage kids being attacked and, and, and uh, brutalized, but um, it's being sort of co opted by this crazy right wing <laughs> mm-hmm. conspiracy theorist who believe that the Hollywood elite are harvesting children mm-hmm. to make some sort of beauty paste out of them. Hmm. They're cannibals.
0: It's not working.
1: Well, clearly <laughs> and and then they that's how they say young or some crazy stuff like that. Yeah. So what is a real tragedy is being sort of co opted by things. Yeah. So if you know that it's been co-opted and you're trying to say, you know, you're trying to say, yes, saving children is important, but also let's not get, think that they're being sold through furniture, right? Let's <laughs> focus on real ways that we can help. Yeah. You're shut down because yeah. the, you, even, even within that group, there's a, there's a, a yeah. social dynamic. Right. You know?
0: Yeah. It's just a microcosm of the bigger picture. Like, it's I always use the analogy of like um, – you know, the, the uh what do they call those things. When when a potluck dishes at a church bazaar, right. right? Everyone brings the your own one pot. But there's always like that little group of ladies is like we don't want any more candied yams this year. You guys cannot bring candied yams. Like they have their own little rules and they're infighting in their infrastructure right, and their right. politics. It doesn't matter how how benevolent or nice or or meaningful or utopic that the idea overall idea is supposed to be that's human nature, and unfortunately, even if it's a small percent, even if you have a, a woman's rotary club of 50 people, right? it's those three that always have the loudest mouth. You know, it's yeah. Gertrude, Phyllis, and... Whatever. <laughs> and they're always the ones that are like, no raisins in the coleslaw this year, damn it, we are anti-raisin. If you bring a raisin, you're out of the club. There's always that person.
1: Right, right. And we see that, like in the movie, There's it shows itself in different ways. Billy and Wyatt don't actually fit into any society. Yeah. Even when they go to the commune, right? Yeah. They go to the commune and Pierre Fonda's pretty fine in it, but Dennis yeah. Hopper can't deal with it, right? Yeah. And then they move on to the the small town. Yep. Right? And which looks like it's set in Texas and yep. they can they can hear the town people just Snickering under their breath, calling them names, harassing them, etc. Yeah, and then obviously, as the film goes on, it gets it gets even darker, right? It goes from just yeah, harassment to some
0: darker. There's some dark moments in that film that come out of nowhere. like when Jack Nicholson gets bludgeoned to death. he yeah, just beats to death with shovels, and yeah. bats, and stuff. Yeah, that's brutal.
1: Um, but you see that reflection of where different societies ostracize those who who think differently. Yeah, or who want to be different, or just question things.
0: Yeah, I mean, the parallels. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, we just spent a lot of time in Georgia, growing up in the South. There's a lot of extreme opinions in that part of the world. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes the ugliest of those opinions come out, seem to rise to the top. Like it's, like I said, it's always the loudest person. You know? Right, right. It does It's not the, necessarily the smartest people that, that show their face. It's the loudest person in the room. Well, and and this country has a real problem when it comes to the loudest person in the room, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> the loudest of the loud is, right. uh, quote unquote, running the country. right? Yeah, exactly. Or exactly. ruining the country, depending on how you look at it.
1: You know, another thing about the movie that I like so much is that it's essentially um, a modern... You, know, you you called it a buddy movie earlier. Yeah. Right? hmm Nowadays, that might have been like a buddy cop or whatever. It would have been The Rock. <laughs> you have been The Rock and, and Kevin, Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart. Yeah. Yeah. But the original buddy movies, in a lot of ways, were Westerns. Yeah. And I feel like it's pretty obvious that... that Easy Rider took a lot of influence and in fact I think may have even been called a modern western yeah. some, I mean Wyatt the come, character's name yeah, Wyatt Earp and, and uh, Billy the Kid, kid. Yeah. yeah so so you can see there instead of having horses they have horsepower, right mm-hmm. and their motorcycles and and um, and this idea that the western always represented freedom in some way yeah, always represented like a, the the utopian living off the land, riding off into the sunset.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: a rolling stone type deal. Mm-hmm. And and in both in both instances, they weren't real. Right, westerns aren't a real reflection of how it was to live in the West. No. And I think the idealism from the 60s wasn't realistic either. No. The idea that I all mean, you need is love.
0: It, it never is. I mean, the whole again, it's a whole utopian thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, I just recently read uh, A Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be the utopia of utopias. But, you know, right away reading it, you know it's just a fascist, you know, society that mm-hmm. dictates your life down to, you know, how often you're going to take birth control.
1: So, right. Exactly. <laughs> so. What, um, I mean, what do you think… What do you think then is the is, – is are we just doomed to repeat the lessons from Easy Rider as a society? Is it is this – because, you know, like in, in many of the same ways that people saw the – really their boomers in the 60s. Okay. Boomer. Right. Um, millennials, the millennial generation, mm-hmm. to me feels like the generation that really pushed for a lot of the social change. Yeah. If you look back, going back to, say, Occupy Wall Street.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, obviously very different from the 60s. I don't think... I think in the 60s, part of what Easy EasyWire is saying is that strife is involved in change, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think the um, I don't think the ideology of the 60s r- reflected that, you know? And mm-hmm. that's why it was such a, a bad trip, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think millennials have that hang-up. I think they understand that, that strife is inherently part of the struggle. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, in the last... What jeez. Eh, when was Occupy Wall Street? Oh eight, maybe?
0: Something like that. You yeah. know,
1: you know, two about you know, uh twelve years yeah. or so down the line, um you could see where even that is sort of cannibalized itself. Mm-hmm. You know, like again, the idea that I know that sort of Save the Children thing is sort of a, a right wing thing, but not not strictly, right? There's yeah. a, all the tribes now have got to a point of such absurdity mm-hmm. that it's collapsing within itself. Yeah, I mean, is there a is there an avenue to pivot off this? Is 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 for either from this film or just from your experience? Is there like a, some silver lining we can draw from it, or or should we just all accept that, in, that we are marching steadily towards an
0: inevitable doom? Yeah, I think uh, as in life with anything else, you know, people tend to eventually jump onto extremes, and the reason why we our generation or my generation. Uh, looks back at the 60s is because it's a novelty to us you know the reason you remember the good things is you remember the fashion you remember the music you remember you know the freedom of love and the uh drugs everywhere and all that good thing you don't you don't remember it's like you sweep under the rug you know the the riots and the civil rights movement and people murders dying in vietnam and all that kind of thing um and humans we are uh, people of extremes like when we latch on to something we go full bore um and that's not necessarily a good thing because i feel like life if i'm going to go into my eastern philosophy mentality right now life is about modernism it's about being moderate in all things you know right. so for you to i think it's good in that um these movements like the 60s and even even things that are going now black lives matter and stuff like that these movements are good because Uh, they they bring light to something that may not have been in the face of certain individuals might not have been prominent in their lives and it makes it a Um, A more prominent thing, you know, like when the NBA says they're not playing, all of a sudden you have to pay attention. Right. You can't just be like, oh, that's fine. That's just happening in Portland. We don't have to worry about that. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. My friends are black, you know. Right, right, It's like, oh, shit. I got no more basketball. Something's happening. I better sit up and pay attention. It affects my life in in a way that it it matters to me. Exactly. So I think those are good things in general. But I think when we bank everything on them and we hope that this is you know change is inevitable and this is the new thing uh and it's going to all be for the better i think that uh i think we're fooling ourselves in that so i think again on an individual level moderation is good so if you go through your life um as a constant constantly learning things Mm -hmm. and all these things are part of them that weren't necessarily part of your world prior i think movies like this and movements like this are a good thing for an individual positive experience but I think jumping onto bandwagons even if they're noble in the beginning can be very dangerous on both sides because you're of course you're masking the true identity of this movement whether it's Black Lives Matter or Save the Children or whatever one you know you're you're deflating the true purpose behind these things you know a couple
1: a few podcasts ago um, me and my host Jason referred to it as it becomes Black Lives Matters TM. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's the It's thing. like Los Angeles has decided to leave. They did a mural of uh, Black Lives by BLM on some street in Hollywood. Yeah. Or whatever. They decided to leave that permanently. Right. But they won't prosecute the murderers and attackers yeah. that killed three trans women. Yeah. On the street, so exactly. it gets completely co opted. And yeah. you, there's, I think, you know, you have to be. Realistic about the fact that that is what's going to ha- happen. Yeah, I I look at today's movements, and I feel like they need a little bit more '60s in them. Yeah. Whereas, like, I feel like, and especially what this movie is showing, right? Yeah. Is that the '60s movement was filled with blind optimism and and yeah. na- na- naivete? Mm-hmm. Naivete. <laughs> um, whereas I feel like m- the modern, more millennial-driven movement is very... um, uh, Woke. No, I mean, no, it's not that. That, that, It's it's a little too... um, doomy. Oh, yeah. A little too pessimistic. Yeah. Nihilistic. That was the word I was struggling to find. Yeah, It's a bit nihilistic in its approach. Yeah. And um, while I I do believe that a certain level of pessimism is necessary,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I also feel like... There's no – I mean, not that I have seen. There doesn't seem to be any sort of spiritual aspect to today's social movements. Yeah. Um, And I'm not saying it has to be like a Christian or anything like that. But like if you look at the 60s and you look at what was driving so much of this change, it was like a total mental change. Yeah. It was was the the, – at least the quest for some sort of extra – you know – extra body experience you know yeah. uh, deeper spiritual experience whatever that's why the drug use was coming through <laughs> it was a total sort of mind change or at least the attempt at it yeah and I don't know that we see that as much no nothing sort of philosophically driving it other than the idea that you're gonna stomp out every evil of the world yeah. which only is useful until that evil that extends to whatever you're doing yeah which is how you get drawn into fascism right yeah um it feels like if there was some more of a – some sort of spiritual awakening that, co- that corresponded with this, yeah. it would help the movement overall.
0: Yeah. I mean uh, you know, we were, just, we were just listening to a podcast this morning and Deepak Chopra was talking about you get out of the world what you put into it and how you view it. You have a very limited yeah. time. So if you're always negative and you're always making ne- negative comments and you're always only seeing the negative side of things, then that's going to be your experience in life. You're only going to see the negative side, and and if you're always positive, you're going to be on that side. But it's also unrealistic. So so, to your point, um, you know there has to be a little give give and play in there of both for it to happen properly. And unfortunately, in our social media lives, at least, we're all about negativity because you get drawn into the you get drawn down to the lowest common denominator. So when someone says, uh, You know, you, we don't like red, we like green. And you say, well, what color green? Is it, you know, lime green? Is it fuchsia green? And why don't you like red? And then you go down these crazy conversations and arguments that are not to the point about anything at all. Right. So if you're constantly arguing about what color green as opposed to why you're not red, then all you're going to have is negativity. But if you say, Hey, you know, we on this side, we like green because it represents nature and it's beautiful and it's loving. Why do you like red? Oh, really? That's great. You know, then you, you open your eyes and your mindset and change can happen and people could see the other side possibly. And that's where real change comes because if we're just talking to people and yelling at them, you got to believe what I believe or else you're non-human, then that's right. never going to change anything. That's just going to make it worse.
1: Right. And again, like it's always easy to see it from one direction, but you know, these guys, in the movie, were killed because they looked different.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right?
1: Yeah, because someone didn't agree. Because it's exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Taking up to yeah. the highest notch. and yeah. we see that now. We see people being shot now because yeah. of the same reasons. Yeah. So, you know, there's so much of this. I mean, on the flip side,
0: yeah,
1: you can't be overly um, right. pessimistic either. Yeah, yeah, right. You have to have a little bit of optimism. You have yeah. to have a little bit of hope. You have to have that, that things can be positive. You know, uh-huh. um, you have to find that mix. And I and and I think that if you're watching this movie as a, some sort of symbol of freedom yeah. or whatever, you have to acknowledge the fact that it, it you get out of the movie what you put into it. Yeah. You know, what you're willing to put into it. And then, yeah. and then whatever you're able to then apply to your real life and yeah. see if you can see the parallels. Yeah, exactly. Especially now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially now. Now, question to you. Do you think – because the movie opens with a drug deal. Yeah. Essentially. Yep. Yeah. So – were were Wyatt and Billy ever on a path? Like were they ever what we think they are or were they from the start kind of flawed characters?
0: Yeah, I think uh I think we sort of already talked about this. I think they were they were literally on the same path but but figuratively they're on two separate paths cuz you got uh Peter again, who I keep wanting to call Henry. <laughs> he uh, like you said, he was the more optimistic of the two and he saw things sort of through rose colored glasses. Um, and uh, he, he was a bit positive. And then Dennis Hopper's character is just like he's cynical, he's skeptical, he's a he's honest, like you think he's gonna kill somebody at any given moment in the whole film. He, well, I think that was
1: just Dennis Hopper, was. <laughs> I think, that was, kill just, somebody I any I think that
0: was just Dennis Hopper, <laughs> yeah. So, so they're going through this same metaphorical journey of uh you know this um uh, i don't know what i would call it you know like a life crisis sort of thing of how they're going to come out on the other side of this right whether that be a metaphor for the entire 60s movement or it's their personal character's journey or what have you uh they're going through this and um you know it's a it's a bit of a shakespearean play because they both die at the end it's tragedy right um so you could say literally that their their journeys end horribly but but you could also look at it metaphorically and say it seems like you know that um uh Peter Fonda's character actually sort of was enlightened to a degree like he mm-hmm. he 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 set out, he achieved what he set out to do like he sort of had some revelation, it took him a bad trip to do it, a couple of bad decisions, but he eventually realized um you know life is pretty good like I'm I'm doing what I want to do I'm happy he's always smiling like almost every scene yeah. he's smiling cuz he's like he's like having these revelations like he's in bliss he's in bliss yeah so he's like going to path of enlightenment and Dennis Hopper is the opposite he's like fuck life fuck this guy who's this Jack Nicholson guy where are you from he, he asked him there's that one guy was it wasn't Jack Nicholson, but it was another guy and he's like I just asked you where you're from where are you from and he's like right. I'm from a town and he's like what town just tell me what town like he's super aggro right he's like a Twitter rant yeah, yeah <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> the guy's just like hey man I'm from a town what does it matter he's like what town where did you grow up? just tell me where you're from yeah it's like hey man they're all the same every yeah. city's the same yeah, every city's the same <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. So so that's like that's like a total metaphor. It's very applicable to today's society. But, well,
1: I think also you know the film starts with them selling cocaine. Yep, and you know when you think of the sixties, yeah. coke's not really the drug you think no. about, right? You think about like LSD pot or hash. Yeah, yeah, hash. So I I, I, I always took it to be something of. Um, uh a little bit symbolic that 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 the 60s kind of went from plant life yeah to chemicals, chemicals and chemicals selling chemicals to the rich right yeah so it's like this big you know bougie guy and essentially they're doing a deal together
0: yeah and
1: and to me that's like the beginning of the end like they they yeah. they're already they can't walk away from that
0: yeah it, i mean i felt incredible like watching this movie again thinking it's uh it, it seems like they skipped a gen. They were so far ahead of their time. Yeah, that was made in 1969, but it should have been made in 1979. Yeah, because it's like leading right up to the 80s. Like all these metaphors and even yeah. these characters. Well, I think that you can apply it to almost every generation, right? Yeah. You can sort of see the crash coming, and maybe yeah. that's a,
1: maybe that's just a really super. Um, um, negative view you know pessimistic view of life that inevitably it's like that line from the dark Knight, you know that people overuse but it's just accurate like you either live long enough to be you either die a hero you live long enough to be the villain right yeah and it seems to be a theme that was set way back when yeah and you're right like for the film to be so self-aware About how the 60s, because it was actually filmed in 68, it was released in 69. So the 60s weren't even over yet. Yeah. Like, I don't even think the Manson murders had occurred
0: yet. That's insane. But the
1: film could already see where it was going, which is that. It was already on the path of selling out. The moment they mm-hmm. did, so they they traded their weed for cocaine, yeah. and their you know hippie they, commune for freedom. selling to, yeah, for making a bunch of money to sell to the man. Yeah, once they got in bed with them, then it was just yeah. a matter of time,
0: yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Either their optimism was going to die because of all the tragedies they'd seen, or the or the sellout version of itself was going to die, um, moralistically internally, yeah, because it gave in to you yeah. Know, capitalism,
0: yeah. I love it. Yeah, man,
1: that was great. And 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 again, uh, we you know we talked a little bit about Dennis Hopper being sort of a megalomaniac on set, but yeah, aside from the the how this movie relates to society, yeah, this is like one of the first indie films. Yeah, I mean it was only like a
0: three hundred k or
1: four hundred k movie even yeah.
0: back for back then. Three hundred k, and uh, you know, allegedly they never really hired a professional crew. They were just picking up people as they go. And like, hey, can you operate this? Perfect. You're now the boom up. Hold this thing. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, it's like they put more money into the score, I think, than the whole rest of the film. Yeah, that's right. That's right, which was great. It was an awesome score. Yeah, it
1: really helps you move along. The soundtrack. It, but but that movie, like, it, you, like you said, Dennis Hopper's the director. Yep. I don't know what anyone in their right mind thought hiring <laughs> Dennis Hopper. I mean, clearly it worked. So someone was brilliant. But like, yeah. as it relates to how he was on set, yeah, he was really freaked out that um, he was going to get his movie taken away and chopped up and yeah. I think he had heard some horror story from like Stanley Kubrick uh-huh. and so he just became a. I mean again I'm sure the drugs didn't help <laughs> but he became this megalomaniac on set to the point where even Peter Fonda wanted to get rid of him from yeah. time to time
0: and they were friends yeah yeah that's all that's all how it went down man but uh, and there's somebody somebody else yeah another guy that was investing and he said you know if it was me and I'm giving you guys money to get high and drive around all the time. I'm not getting my money no way because that's it they were high all the time all the time. Yeah. I mean every time they're smoking yeah. weed in
1: the movie, yeah, they're really stoned. And so yeah. and I'm sure a lot of the dialogue is is ad-libbed. Yeah. Or or if if not intentionally, by the time the pot kicks in. <laughs> yeah. You
0: know? And we talked about this earlier like they had argued. I think it was specifically Dennis Hopper who wanted a writing credit on it and uh, there's two versions of the story. One is that he was admit about it because of all the um, uh, improvisation he did and he demanded it. And another side of the story is that Peter Fonda loved them so much that they were like, you guys are great. You should get a writer's credit because half the shit came from you guys. Right, anyway. right. Because uh, apparently they didn't have a full script when they were starting either. It was just, I, I believe that. We watched story. the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like it's uh, it, there's like a I noticed while watching it that there's like three things that happen. You know, it's like um, there's B-roll. Of just driving shots in little Tons towns. That's like a third of the movie. Then there's the one cool part where they're philosophizing. Yeah, they're like going real balls deep into philosophizing. Yeah, um, and then and then a song comes up and it's a music video. So it's like <laughs> <laughs> so it's like into those three parts over and over and over again, to sort of sort of meet a, meet a plot arc. And Yeah. Very loosely. <laughs> they're like we we just gotta kill these guys, fuck it. Yeah, at the end. Um but like there's so much of it and I wonder how much of it was because
1: of just this wasn't shot like a traditional movie. It almost yeah. feels like a collection of home videos. Yeah. Like it, it it's not because it's obviously cinematic, but it feels akin to like a found footage movie Yeah, it's like you just found these guys uh vacation <laughs> yeah. home movies and you kind of you know quickly chopped it together on like iMovie or whatever you know <laughs> yeah
0: totally
1: even the weird transitions are like oh god just like zooming in and
0: out or like just will randomly pan yeah. up and cut to a or, totally different part of the day or the thing, thing, thing they did like five times where they're like cutting to the next scene but it's a jump cut so it's, right. it's even like a day scene then a night scene yeah, yeah so it's like day night day night day night day night day and you're like jesus what just happened i had an epileptic uh, seizure why well, uh, maybe maybe there's some design in terms of how to affect those uh who are watching yeah
1: but but i wonder how much of that just because because it almost like in the same way like the blair witch yeah. was made for nothing and then you know blew, blew up mm-hmm. huge they made like sixty million, right? Sixty million. That's yeah. just in the initial box office. I'm yeah. sure once you've counted oh, the yeah. last fifty years and of DVD rentals and yeah. and everything else, merchandising
0: like, and all this that is stuff.
1: one of the the early signs. And you could make these cheap sort of experimental movies. Yeah. And every once in a while, you get that little Miss Sunshine or yeah. uh, Napoleon Dynamite or yep. Pulp Fiction, for that matter. You know. Yep kind of gave rise to the entire indie movement. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that exists anymore is debatable because yeah. much, like, uh, <laughs> much like our heroes, they maybe run off the road. Sold out. They definitely, definitely sold out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, just, just tons of tons of parallels that can be drawn from this. Uh, it's a great film. Yeah. I highly recommend watching it. I think, though, if you're going to watch it, get yourself in the right mental state.
0: That's right. Don't
1: watch it sober, man. Don't do it. Enhance your experience. And, um... We'd like to do the Tusk rating on this show, sir. <laughs> how many got One zero through five, how many tests would you give Easy Rider?
0: Uh... I'm gonna give it a solid four, and the okay. only reason I'm not giving it a five is because there were times when I even stone was like, what the fuck are they doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so other than that, it would have been a five. But okay. that's a part of its charm too, so I don't take it away either. That's the reason it's not a three, so it's a solid four tusk. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give it a five tusk. Okay. And and
1: uh, I would normally dock a point or a tusk <laughs> for being that – I like art weird – I like – I mean, look, it's called the Tusk Award, right? So it's like yeah. – obviously, I like weird movies. But um, I'm not, like okay, so I can enjoy a good weird art house film mm-hmm. once or twice. Yeah. But it's hard after that, right? Mm-hmm. So Easy, Writers, <laughs> <laughs> once or twice. Oh, Easy Rider is one of those films that you could put on every day. Yeah. And and even though it's super weird, mm-hmm. you I think I think and I think so much of it's the soundtrack. Yeah, you know. Yep. Because it's it's just a day in a life. I mean, it's it's even more than a day in a life. It's very much like uh, fly on the wall. Yeah. You know. Yep. And uh, but the, because the score is so good, and it's like the because like you said, so much of it's sort of driving shots, beauty shots. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very beautiful film. Yeah, it is. As raw as it is. Yeah. That. It, it doesn't, uh, it, it accomplishes the same thing that a weird art house film would do. Yeah. But much like, it's like a Beatles song, man. Yeah. It's complicated, but it's got that melody. <laughs> yeah, that's I right. I can put it on every day. <laughs> yeah. Because I got Paul. <laughs> Paul's laying down that bass line. Yeah. And I can come back to it all the time. Yeah. So, Five Tusk for me. I love this flick. If you guys haven't seen it, or if you haven't seen it in a while, or if you haven't seen it ever, uh, watch it. Because yeah. if you're at all paying attention to what's going on in the world, especially. As it's led by a generation that is pushing 40. I mean, I guess I kind of fall on the edge, right? I'm 39. And depending on which chart, I'm either a year. I'm either the last of the Gen Xers or I'm the first of the millennials. Yeah. But the point is, we're all racing towards forty. Yeah. So, are we going to be like, uh, are we going to be like Wyatt? Or are we going to be like Billy? Because mm-hmm. I think if we haven't already, that choice is coming up. Or are you going to be like
0: Jack Nicholson and just well, get the shit beat out of you? Maybe, maybe. But also, you know, this this movie is on pretty much every single top one hundred films of whatever, whatever. Yeah. So, as a cinephile, if I, if you're listening to this. Podcast. I'm guessing you're probably a bit of a cinephile already. You have to watch this movie. It's has got to be on your bucket list just to see it. to To talk about it, it's a classic, and uh, it's just it's, it was it was a slice of time that'll be forever immortalized. Immortal, yeah. Immortalized. Immortalized. Yeah. Immortalized? yeah. Uh, and it's great, man. Watch it. It's awesome. I'll get you an aid too, probably. <laughs> probably.
1: All right. So we've been doing uh, something of a tournament. Oh. as you know. Yeah. to crown the best witch movie which witch will win well we're about to find out so last week we had two movies that I actually I mean I knew it was going to be close in some instance it was really close mm-hmm. um, we had Rosemary's Baby yeah. versus the original Suspiria mm. and God, Rosemary's Baby took it I just jizzed in my to,
0: pants twice by the way it's, they're
1: very excellent movies <laughs> Uh, Rosemary, am uh, sorry. Rosemary's Baby won 66 votes to 60. Bravo. But there were a couple of days where they were tied. Yeah. I mean,
0: they're a really yeah. tough challenge. Uh, I voted, I myself voted for Rosemary's Baby. Um, I have said this many times. I feel like that's one of the most influential films of all time, especially for the horror genre, but just, all, just in general. Um, and for those of you who have seen my movie, The Incantation, uh, it was heavily influenced by Rosemary's Baby. Uh, so I might be a little biased. Um, but Suspiria, I mean, God, that's an amazing film. The original, I mean, that's something I could just put on and watch over right. and over and over it's and over again. a beautiful film. So beautiful. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad Rosemary's Baby won, but that's tough, man. That's a tough choice. It was, that was really tough, but it, it advances to the next round. And then we're not to your bracket yet. You're going to be in
1: the very last <laughs> bracket of the first round. Go for Incantation when you get to that bracket. <laughs> but uh, next week, this coming week, it's going to be a couple of older films. And I want to challenge people to go back and watch some of
0: these. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because, you know, sometimes... There's, there's some I haven't even seen on there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, like uh, Black Sunday. Oh, okay, yeah. And Bell Book and Candle. is Who's Black Sunday? Mario Bava? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And what's the second one? Uh, Bell Book and Candle. Oh, I don't, have not seen that. I haven't for seen sure. that one either. I want to go back and watch right.
1: as well. So so check that out. Uh, make sure to go to the Slasher's app's Instagram, at Slasher App. Mm-hmm. And you can vote on Monday right underneath their post. Mm-hmm. And then check the story at our Instagram, at Grant House Podcast. And check in the stories every day. I post it. And if I don't, DM me, because sometimes I get busy. But I shouldn't be busy now. I'm <laughs> back home. <laughs> Slash that app. And then uh, and vote. And tell us which movie that you think is the better which movie, Black Sunday, or Bell Book Candid. We only have, um, basically with this week, we've got three weeks left of the mm-hmm. first round Ooh. before we start moving into our, mm-hmm. is it quarterfinals? Semifinals? I think it's semifinals. <laughs> it depends on how <laughs> many is <are> our <left>. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's semifinals are next. I always get those. Cause I'm clearly yeah. really a huge sports guy. So <laughs> so remember to vote. We, uh, vote. we love your participation. It's awesome. Let's get down to find out which movie is the greatest Which movie of all time. Jude, Yes. Would you care to put a wager as to who's going to win the whole
0: thing? Uh, let me. Can I take a look at the sure. take a gander at the competitors? <laughs> I'll just read off what the competitors are: uh, the witch. Let me move this here closer. Technical difficulties. <laughs> uh, the witch, the wretched, Hocus Pocus, Kiki's Delivery, Rosemary's Baby, Suspiria, uh, Evil's Bayou, the Love Witch. And then the craft, practical magic, the witches of Eastwick, the witches, Black Sunday, uh, Bell, book and candle, the incantation, wink, wink, vote mm-hmm. for that, and Gretel uh, and Hansel. So for me, I honestly, if if uh, if if it was all these sixteen, is it sixteen movies? Yeah. If it was all these sixteen movies and they were on different sides i would have said it actually would come down to rosemary's baby and Suspiria. i think those are probably the two best movies on there and that's with me having my own movie and right. <laughs> <laughs> the bias that all the bias that comes with that but not counting that i would say my 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 prediction is on on the left side would be rosemary's baby and as much as i would want the incantation on the right side i think realistically it's going to come down to uh Ah, man. I think Black Sunday is probably the best of those. Uh, Who won in The Craft and Practical Magic? Uh, The Craft. Yeah. The Craft is... uh, That's a fan favorite. Right. It it may not be the best film, but it's the definite fan favorite. It's kind of like um, uh, John Wick. (laughs) Yeah. Yes! (laughs) Fucking... I hate John Wick. Fuck you. Fuck all you John Wick fuckers. (laughs) It's not the best actor film. It sucks. It's it's interesting to see
1: when we do these tournaments because... um, it, to me, at least, it gives me an idea of what kind of fans we have. Oh, always, yeah, you know, true. like I, I like the data because you know the the when we last year when we ran the just the horror movie one, mm-hmm. um, the Shining one, yeah, yeah, which is I mean it's a fan favorite, but it's not yeah. you know it's not mm-hmm. as as uh, exploitative or gory or you know you you don't there's no famous monster associated with it really <laughs> yeah. Um, so a little rag bit more in the rom, rag rom. yeah, a little bit more in the cinephile category. Mm-hmm. But then we went into action films, fucking John Wick, John Wick, which is a fan favorite. Ugh, so I hate with, the, him. with the Witch Tournament, we'll see. We'll see if we go something super arty, sort of classic cinema, yeah, uh, or if we go something more postmodern, or where we land in them. Maybe we go an
0: in indie shot in France. You never know. Shock the fans with the incantation. I think. Uh, I'm gonna say Rosemary's baby overall. That's you think my so? that's my guess. Okay, very cool. Well we'll find out in just
1: a few weeks. Once you if you listen to us every week as we count down to Halloween, we will get through each round in each bracket, and then we will eventually crown the most Supreme Witch movie mm-hmm. of all time.
0: That's right. Would
1: you like to answer an audience question with me? I would love to do that.
0: Questions from McCarrips. <laughs>
1: Grave underscore wave asks, what are three things needed to make a great indie film?
0: Oh, man. Well, number one, story. Yeah. Story is the most important thing that needs to go into a film. Uh, I'll let you elaborate on that. Well, yeah,
1: I I echo that statement. Um, Especially because I love, I, I genuinely love indie films. Yeah. You know, I think there's a really nice sweet point where you can get, uh, you know make a decent living doing it yeah have the money needed to execute the vision yep yeah. but keep it low enough that you have the freedoms that come with it yep yeah. and um, the the freest easiest uh, inexpensive thing that you can do to make your movie as great as possible is write a good story absolutely if your story is compelling enough look not Look, we just gave you know, between four and five tusks to a movie that has almost no story. It's all metaphor. <laughs> that's true. And I'm not saying that those movies can't exist. Yeah. They, they clearly can. But uh, that's literally lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. For every easy rider, there's been
0: there's, five million been been other films. Un, hundred uneasy rides. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a few. <laughs>
1: so, um,
0: yeah. So uh, I'd say story's number one. Yes. Number two for me is cast. And I don't mean necessarily you got to get brad pitt or whoever the flavor of the week is but i mean if you can yes cool if yeah. you can get brad pitt sure he's a great actor he's he's all right <laughs> and then uh but that, that could also mean getting the best person for your leads like and that's not it's easier said than done because obviously if you don't have money you're not going to get a known person but finding that person taking the time because a lot of these movies that we have grown to love, the the actors at the time were nobodies. Right. They were unknowns when that movie came out. and now They were just perfect for that role. They were perfect for that role. So my advice to you is if you're making any film, you probably can't afford the person you dream of having in that role. But try to get the person that emulates that role the best – that acts that role the best even if it's just for your lead or your your lead and your second lead that'll make a huge difference in your film and
1: also i would just add that uh, and, and part of how you find that is find that actor that can bring something of themselves into it yeah you know i i, I feel like very briefly did i go through acting courses mm-hmm. not nearly as extensively as you did sir mm-hmm. but <laughs> right but what i found was um if you can put something of your like okay I, I never really wanted to be in front of the camera, but I just thought it was necessary to sort of learn and yeah. just get some rudimentary uh-huh. uh, experience in that. Yep. And what I found for me that made me easy when I was doing like a scene in class or whatever was being able to put something of me in there. Like yeah. Frustrated. Like there was a, I think I had some, uh, was it Tennessee Williams? I was doing some play for an assignment. And it was a husband and a wife arguing, and mm-hmm. you know whatever. And so you had, for me, I had hey, well, let me draw from those frustrations, either what I witnessed growing up, what I've experienced as an adult, and whatever. Yeah. So you can find you like not every just because someone's not a name doesn't mean they don't have that thing right. exactly that element that they can draw from their real life that makes it perfect for yeah. that experience, yeah. you know, for that and for that character to come alive. Yeah. So again, you, it's just like with the story, right? Yeah. Like you can, um, you can write it and write it and write it till it gets to the point that it needs to be to be most effective. Yeah. And that just costs your time. Yeah. You know, casting is just
0: yeah making its time. Yeah. And it's making the right choice. Yeah. And I'll give you. I'll go one step further on that. A little piece of advice. You know, our 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 go to is to cast the person that looks the part but that's not always great and in fact it's the times when you cast somebody that that is outside of what you have in your mind because your mind's going to go to the stereotypical whatever. Right. You are going to, you are automatically going to go to, all right. Is this is a strapping young lad, or is this is is this a cute little girl? Like, what is, what is the thing you are going for? Because it's the thing you've, it's thing you've seen. It's the thing you've seen a hundred million times. And if you've seen it, everyone yeah. else has seen it exactly. But if you can find that person that has that real life element to this story, but is outside of that box and totally turns your world around, you are like, oh shit, you know, oh, this character was supposed to be. You know, 25-year-old Asian, whatever, whatever, whatever. But now, you know, this African-American guy who's 35 it has brought a whole new light to this right. project. You know, like, holy shit, I never saw that coming. Then that, you got something really cool there. We worked on a project. I won't say which one it was. <laughs> you can look at the 20-odd ones that we've worked on together.
1: But <laughs> well, we worked on a project where um, there was an actor who was up. I don't remember if he was up for the hero part. Mm-hmm. Or but they cast him in the antagonist part, uh-huh. or the quasi antagonist part. Yeah, and he was an African American actor, uh-huh. and I remember thinking like this guy's fuck would be great as the lead. Yeah, like he wasn't a name, right? But he would be great in the lead, and it's mm. different than you expect.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And, you know,
1: and like and like he he like I remember watching some of the audition tapes. I was like, this guy can do some of the heavy lifting. Yeah, because you know it's not a big budget, so you can't yeah. rely on action strictly. Right. And, of course, you know, that's not how people see it, so they cast him as the former pimp dude or whatever he was. Yeah, stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they they cast another actor who I guess looks more of the part, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess, but didn't bring it to me on the same level that, like... Not even close. That that, uh, um, the the guy who ended up playing the antagonist did. Yeah. So... I
0: totally agree. Totally agree. Think outside Uh, the box. Yeah, think outside the box.
1: And then what else do you think? The Uh, third
0: thing, and this again... Uh, money aside is production value. Now I shot a mo- I shot two movies and they were extremely low budget but anyone who'll tell you even my uh, most strictest severest critics will tell you both of these films are beautiful. Um, so when I say production value, I mean you know, Get, get good shots. Get beautiful shots. I see beauty in everything. Like I could go into a trailer park where everything's rusted and the cars are up on wheels and there's garbage in there and I could still find beautiful shots there. All right. Um, I can find everyday items that are unique and are different. Uh, I can find shapes and colors and objects to put in a shot and all those things up your production value. So, again, I shot a little crappy movie that you and I did <laughs> call <laughs> tuberculosis. that's a 15 minute short and it's horrible but it's damn beautiful because you can you can up your production value production value is around you everywhere in life so just cuz you don't have a budget don't don't skimp on production value like that's just, right. go go find something nice if it looks nice to you in your mind's eye if something comes out to you and you're like Man, that's really I'm drawn to that thing. Like we went and saw the spirit pole. Yeah. It's just a, it's just some logs basically. Yeah. But, but it's, it's so mesmerizing. I know. I just you to stay there for a while. <laughs> You're so. Right. Be in the essence yeah. for a bit, like so, you can feel it off the ground. That's production value, man. That's just three posts sticking up the ground, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, hundred miles from anywhere. But that's fucking production value because that space is like spiritual. Like you're, you're like, holy crap, this is amazing. Yeah. So that's find that find that spirit totem in your film, in your shots. That's it. That's it. I'm just gonna add a
1: fourth one because I agree with you on all three of those. Those are dead on. Yeah. The only one, the only other one I would add is tension. Mm. Learn, what tension is. Yeah. Learn what tension. is. That's great. Learn what tension is and use it effectively yeah and I, I feel like this it's the newest thing that I've been harping on I do like you, if you listen to the show long enough you can hear when I'm on a rant about something so <laughs> yeah. like I'll often say how horror is a reflection of the anxieties of the time I've probably said oh, yeah, yeah. a million that. times if you if you want to do a drinking game find <laughs> the moment in the, in the podcast where I say that I just did it so take a shot take a shot the other thing is tension and, and like um, yeah it's great like when we were watching Drive the other day for example mm-hmm. I had never seen it that movie is Prior all tension it. yeah it's just tension the whole yeah, time. It is. You know? And even even Easy Rider, even if you think of Easy Rider, like there's so many beauty shots that you like you're like, yeah, I'm listening to the music, man. I'm just drinking it in. And then yeah. and then like they get into a it, then it jars you. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, what was that? Yeah. Like I was in my I was floating, man. Yeah. And then, you know, it gets to like the parts where they wax you know uh poetic yeah and it's like even that's all steeped in tension and yeah you know like and i've, I've given this example i think i did it on last podcast or maybe two podcasts before it's like even even um home alone has filled with tension yeah right yeah even think about the dumbest dumbest comedy if it, if it works yeah if it works then yeah it's got tension it works because of tension yeah and tension isn't always just drama it can mean comedy it can be romantic comedy serendipity will they get together will they not get together like they keep missing each other in the halls or moonlighting right like whatever you can go through the list every great movie that you've ever seen it is filled with tension of some sort and so I guess that's a little bit of a hybrid of all of them in a lot of ways because you can write in tension to the best of your ability but you need your actors to deliver that tension Ryan Gosling although he's a name by that point I don't know how huge a name he was at that point but he's a name right Yeah but could you imagine anyone else right. s- who can sell silence no. as well as he can No <laughs> Like he's almost he's the king
0: of silence pushing the spoon away
1: Yeah he's just uh, he's just like he just looks and yeah. he emotes a lot through he that does. He does. And you can you can see that he he seems like in real life a man who is of little words uh, Yeah and so that comes across yeah, right Yeah. Um, but but all those things all, yeah. all that kind of different tension that gets built up like Sometimes, especially an indie film, it yeah. lives off that, and then you know, beyond just writing it into the script and then allowing your actors to hopefully be able to convey it, yeah. it's your production value. Yeah, that can put in a lot of tension to what you cut to, how you shoot, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, yeah. that yes. It's nicer when you have money and toys. That's probably the thing that costs the most is production value. <laughs> yeah. Potentially. Yeah. But it's also decision making. Yeah, it's decision and, making. And yeah. shooting it in a way. What was it what was we watched something and it was so by the books.
0: Oh god, I don't Do know. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. What was it that we watched? Oh, I don't remember what it was because it's it's unmemorable.
1: Yeah, we must have just done it too. But I remember thinking like, yeah. oh, this is the scene where they cut to the slider. Yeah. Oh, this is a, this. Like yeah. it's
0: it's generic. It was uh, Ready Player One,
1: maybe. Oh yes, it was Ready Player One. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we caught the end of Ready Player One on. Um, on TV while we were watching waiting for AEW <laughs> Wrestling yeah and and it was so and this is Steven Spielberg yeah with all the money in the world oh, yeah and and yet the decisions were so unmemorable so yeah. uninteresting yeah nothing cliche nothing, out f- the ass nothing felt like it had production value like yeah. it didn't even look good CGI. it wasn't even good CGI yeah there was sad. nothing about that pushed the envelope like I don't like Avatar yeah but I can understand why people watching Avatar for the first time yeah walked away feeling like the envelope for filmmaking had been pushed right yeah. to its limit. Yeah, none of that, nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing. And so again, this is one I, I'm—I know but Someone's going to listen and be like, "How dare you?" But this <laughs> is this is one of the greatest directors of all time. Yeah. With all the money in the world, all the actors in the world, all the technology in the world, all the toys in the world, yeah. And to me, it's it's like, yeah. If you if I didn't know it was Steven Spielberg, yeah, I would never guess it
0: was a film. Yeah, I, I felt I felt it fell flat. Uh, but on your tension thing, yeah, like anybody who's watched Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler, yeah. that's the whole thing is just tension, and it's like it's not even necessarily um, like for. Three-quarters of the movie, it's not even danger. It's just nerves and this situation. You're like, what the fuck? What's happening? When am I getting this thing back? Holy shit. Like, you're just on your nerves constantly. Um, And then two of my favorite scenes... uh, Yesterday, we also watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which deserves its own podcast. But um, two of my favorite scenes in there deal with tension, and one is a really intense moment, and one is a comedic uh, intense moment. The first being when Brett... Brad Pitt is at the hippie commune. He's at yeah. Spawn Ranch, and this whole point leading up to before he uh, gets um, he has this altercation with one of the hippie guys who slashed his tire. You don't know what the fuck's gonna happen, right? Like that whole scene is shot like a western. It's like shot like High Noon, and you think someone's gonna get mowed down. You think a gunfight's gonna blow out. People, it's gonna be hell's gonna be raised. You don't know how it ends, and then it ends the way it does, which is amazing. Tarantino at, at its best, but that whole scene there's a good 5-10 minutes there he goes into the house and he's right. like it's so and so home what's he doing he gives you little
1: breaths of tension he yeah. le- lets it out for a little bit then blows it back they're up they're
0: standing yeah they're standing between a, a little screen door and he just taps on it and he goes this little this little door is not going to stop me like that there's right. not a gun there there's not a knife there there's not anyone threatening anybody it's just him tapping on the door this little screen door is not going to stop me from going in here and you're like holy fuck it's about right. to go down Right. so that's that's one good use of tension Another other one in that movie the comedic one is when at the end, this is a plot spoiler if you haven't seen it. It's a big plot spoiler, but I'm going to talk about it anyways because it's awesome. That's also like a three year old movie now. Yeah, it's a three year old movie, whatever. so fuck you if you haven't seen it. And <laughs> <laughs> that's touched the Imitations in six months. Yeah, okay. That's, that's it. But it's at the end, you know, the big killing scene at the end, and Brad Pitt has just smoked a cigarette with the LSD. Uh, Cliff Booth, I should say, has done that. Brad probably did it as well. <laughs> and uh, he's got these intruders in his house. And it's fucking hilarious because you know they're there to kill him or, right. or at least kill Sharon Tate. They got the wrong house. Whatever happened, they're there. They got weapons. They're ready to fucking kill. The, they got Their eyes are glossed over. They got bloodlust and then Brad Pitt is just like cracking up and he right. literally starts laughing in the in the middle of it and he's like laughing as hard as he can and everything they say is a threat. The guy says, I'm the fucking devil and he's like, no, no, it wasn't the devil. Was You're something, something more stupid. stupid. <laughs> stupider than that. And he's like making fun of the guy who clearly wants to kill him. Right, right. Um, But that whole teen, scene is tension and then it has the greatest payoff ever. Like they actually let the tension go. Like into, go all the way all out. All of it into a giant blood orgasm and death. Death orgasm, an awesome ending to the film. But anyway, that's another example. But right. yeah, tension well, is key.
1: But Tarantino's like the man, the, the the master, the current master of tension. Yeah, and he, and he go, he takes it back to a. um a thing that a quote from Alfred Hitchcock, which is show them the bomb and then talk about baseball for fifteen minutes. Ah, it's beautiful. And if you look at um Inglorious Bastards, this is my best example of it. Yeah. You know, you know that there's a Nazi officer sitting at their table. Uh, oh their cover is gonna get blown that at so any good moment, right? Yep. You know it. You know yep. the danger is coming. You know that they have weapons. Yep. And then and then it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. <laughs> and even as they the the, uh, the charade drops. Yeah. The release is the gunfire. Yeah. And it's just like whoa, and it's so sudden. <laughs> yeah. That it it really does bring a whoa feeling for me, right? Yeah. You're, yeah, like the, it's like the scene from um, Easy Rider where they all get bludgeoned with in weather in the sleeping bags. Yeah. Right? And uh, um, you know the the ending of What's Upon a Time in Hollywood or all yeah. these things like yeah. It just builds and builds and builds. Like now, it costs almost no money to shoot three people at a table. Yeah, you know exactly. That yeah. have uh, especially if someone's got a secret that they don't want to expose. Yeah, that's that can be written. That's cheap. That's yeah. freeze can free and fries. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's so that's to me it, it's like that's really key. Like those three things, yes. But if at yeah. the heart of it all is. Yeah. you know how to properly
0: build release rebuild and then that's what she said completely <laughs> release tension if you want to do movie cables then it's basically edging for cinema that's basically it that's all cinema is <laughs> it's, it's edging for voyeurs yeah. that's all cinema is and on that note thank you guys
1: for listening to our show I'm going to do more shows in this state of mind going forward I think now that I'm back home um, we appreciate it don't forget to vote for the uh, best witch movie vote the Incantation and vote for with incantation of your so <laughs> inclined, I'm not going to sweater right right
0: still vote for it.
1: Uh, and until next time, this has been Dave and Jude, my guest host, yeah. Adios. Peace. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the We Blue It Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.